building an inclusive workplace for LGBTQ workers. Diversity and inclusion are built on the cornerstone of respect and acceptance. Yet, according to a recent survey by the Human Rights Campaign Foundation, almost 50% of LGBTQ workers remain closeted in the workplace. It's time to ask, are we creating safe spaces where everyone can bring their whole selves into the workplace? In the words of author Steve Maraboli, how would your life be different if you stop making negative judgmental assumptions about people you encounter? Let today be the day you look for the good in everyone you meet and respecting your journey. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, joined by members of my Ron Side Equality, Diversity and Inclusion, or Ready Crew, Crystal Crowley and Norma Marquez. Today, we're speaking with Emma Folks, Managing Partner of Greenwood Wealth Management. Emma is an award-winning financial planner, U.S. Army veteran, financial literacy advocate. She's a subject matter expert, speaker, published author, and radio personality. She is backed by more than 18 years of financial services experience and was featured in Atlanta Magazine, Forbes Magazine, and The Wall Street Journal. Prior to becoming an entrepreneur, Emma held positions with American Express, Ameriprise, and National Life Vermont. Emma takes pride in being an advocate for her community and does so as a board chair of Zami Nobla and as past president of the Atlanta Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce and Emerging Vets and Players Volunteer. Welcome, Emma. Thank you for having me. So we're so excited today to speak with you to hear more about your journey. Emma, you have an impressive career in life. Tell us what inspired you to join the Army, and did that influence your decision to transition to a financial services industry? What inspired me to join the Army was my my mother's tough love. I was originally from New York. We moved from New York to Orange County, California, and had to go to school, was going to college, and was working part-time at a wallpaper store and started making more money than my mother because I started my own, my first business, I started my own business hanging and stripping wallpaper in a neighborhood called Coda de Casa in Orange County, which is where they film Real Housewives of Orange County. And I was making money, and it was cash, all cash, so I thought I was rich. I thought I had more money than my mother, so I didn't think she knew anything because if if I'm making more money than she was, and she went to college and had a master's, I have just a high school diploma. I don't need to go to college. So I kind of goofed around my first two years in college, and she had had a hard conversation with me and said, we came to this country. She's an immigrant. We came to this country for a reason, and you're throwing everything away, and you want to go to college. You're on your own. And I didn't think twice about it. I got hurt. (laughs) I probably fell off a ladder or something or slipped on some water and realized that manual labor is just not in the cards for me, that if you get hurt, that's your income. So I decided to go back to school. And when I decided to go back to school, my mother said, no, I was serious. You're cut off. You don't take my money seriously. You don't take college seriously. So you figure it out. I was up one Sunday morning or Saturday morning and that watching Soul Train and that commercial came on that be the best that you can be. We do more before nine o'clock than everyone else and we'll give you money for college. (laughs) So I did join the Army on the delayed entry program, hoping my parents would say, no, 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 don't join, don't join. But that's not what happened. (laughs) So I went in. The rest is history. But my parents being immigrants, they came to this country and they felt they said there's two ways to make money in this country. One is through real estate. The other is through the stock market. And when I was 16 years old, I was too young to own real estate. So they took me into a place called E.F. Hutton, which was an old brokerage firm. You know, when E.F. Hutton talks, everyone listens. Right. (laughs) And instead of buying me a car like every other 16-year-old that was at my school, I got stocks. I got blue chip stocks, AT&T, GE. I can't even think of the other, but it was just a bunch of blue chip stocks. And I had to learn about the stock market. So it was more of a, a task. And back then we didn't have the internet. 
So I would have to go get the Los Angeles Times, and I had to learn how to read the stock tables. And so when my mother came home from work, we would sit down for dinner, and she'd say, well, what's AT&T doing today? And she actually worked for AT&T. So what's AT&T's stock doing today? And what's uh, GE's stock doing today? Or, and if I didn't know the answers, it was an argument. And at the time, I didn't understand that what she was doing for me. But now looking back, it's like, wow, you're kind of a genius. <laughs> so that's how I ended up in the financial services industry. It was really my mother that forced me to learn how to make money. Wow, I love that. She basically taught you how to fish. Yes, she did. <laughs> she did. I love that. Awesome. Wow, I, as immigrants, and she knew that right off the bat, those two ways to get wealth in this country. And that's amazing because we're not taught that typically, especially, I don't want to say underserved communities. You know, that's the last thing. You know, you're taught about how to get a job, keep your head down, work, get a good hourly rate and get benefits. I think that's really the thing that we're the lesson that, especially in underserved communities, that we're taught. So that was amazing that she knew enough to help you with creating wealth. It wasn't about getting the job and getting a quick money. It was about building wealth for your future. Yes. That's awesome. She's, you might have an amazing mother. She, she is. She's amazing. So when I think about finan- the financial services industry, I think about a very formal, stiff environment. Did you feel like you were included and belonged as a member of the LGBTQ community, as a female, as a person of color? Tell me about that experience. No, no, and no, absolutely (laughs) not. I did not. But sometimes the way people treat you can be a motivator. And so when people doubt me, like I'm motivated by people, used to be motivated by people that doubted me because to me, success is the best revenge. It is. And so that drives me a little bit. So when I got into the industry, I was not treated like everyone else. The guys were old boyed up and they were given help and walked through and people, they told me flat out I wouldn't make it because people that looked like me didn't have money. But I came from the North, I'm from the West Coast, so I've seen different things. So I know what we're capable of and what we have. So it was just kind of an ignorant type of thing. But from a sexuality standpoint, I don't think I came out until probably almost 10 years after I got in the industry. My wife and I, she was my girlfriend back then, we both made a decision to not hide anymore. The reason is I I had a couple of managers try to blackmail me because of my sexuality. So I told them the truth. And they used it against me when I didn't do things the way they wanted me to do or I was standing my ground. And I decided that I would never allow someone to try to hold something over my head ever again in my life. So at that time, both my wife and I, we stopped using those pronouns like, oh, we went, we did this this weekend and (laughs) we went on vacation. Yeah, I think that was probably in 2008. We decided to just be ourselves and... I don't know. It, it was one of the best things that I've ever done. I didn't become my real self until that until that point. I love that. Becoming your real self. And I'm horrified by the fact that someone's holding who you are and your diversity demographic over your head and trying to manipulate you with that. That's just, again, it amazes me. I'm not surprised, but it amazes me that this is still happening. Yeah, I'm not I'm sure. Al- I mean, I'm... I'm not the only person. I'm sure it's much worse. And I, I saw what was coming. So I'm, I'm very observant and I watch how people treat other people. So I always know that something's coming down the pike. But even when you know that something's going to happen, when it happens, it still doesn't diminish how it feels. So I was I was prepared, but I wasn't as prepared for some of the stuff. I thought I could handle some stuff. And it, it took me into a little bit of a dark place. But fortunately, I have a good team of family and friends around me who can rally around and continue to push me. 
I'm so, I mean, gosh, that, that's such a powerful testimony. I mean, I really love to hear that, Emma. And one of the things, you know, one word, one quote I love is by Maya Angelou is that when people show you who they are, believe them. Don't you need to believe. Them, don't make them tell you again. Don't let them don't, tell you don't again. Don't let them tell you again. Don't let them and, tell and you it's, again. It's almost like with dating. When you're dating someone, that everybody's nice for like the first two to three months. But then there's little things that kind of pop out, that slip out. And so the same thing in the workplace, when, when, when little things slip out, pay attention and put that in your pocket mm-hmm. and know that that same thing that they're doing to somebody else can come back and get you. So be very careful. Be very careful. Yeah. I tell people all the time, it's not about what you say to me. It's how you act. Your behavior and your actions speak so much louder than words for me. So I believe your actions, but more than what you say. So that's really, wow, that is so powerful. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for sharing so much knowledge on all the experiences that you have lived over the past years through corporate American and, and your entrepreneur endeavors. But one thing that from your own experience, how can an individual LGBTQ professional determine if a potential employer would be an inclusive place to work? I mean, what are some of those things that you look for or that you can share for individuals to be aware? Well, for me, it's to do the research. Again, it's like dating, right? I, you, I look at work and I look at re- and personal relationships, all like dating. It's all the same thing. So you have to do your research. See if the company is a member of an LGBTQ chamber of commerce. Are they a sponsors of GLAD? Are they on the HRC list, one of the top workplaces? Or do they even mention HRC? Do they mention inclusiveness? Look at their YouTube. Like, go all over their social media and see what you see. Then look at their board of directors. Is there inclusion there? Then look at the Facebook pages. Seriously, look at the Facebook pages. If you can, I, I call it cyber stalking, if you will. But it's, it's to see, do you see any language that's going to make you feel uncomfortable? Is there anything that they're doing in their social media or personal lives that may bleed into your work life that may be something you don't like? Look on LinkedIn and see who they know. And then if at all possible, if they have a business resource group or an ERG group, see if you can find someone who's in that group. And then figure out a way to take them to coffee or lunch outside of their office mm-hmm. and ask them the truth. You really want to know what you're getting into. It's a lot of work on both sides. Employers, they throw out their best foot forward when they want to get a new employee. They roll out the red carpet and bonuses and just different things. But you want to know what you're getting into before you get into it. So anything that you can do to find out what's really going on in the inside, you have to become like a little bit of a spy. Do recon, reconnaissance. It's that military thing. Know what you're getting into before you get there. At Randstad, we have a private business resource group, which helps share information impacting the LGBTQ community. In your views, how important is to having access to education resources at work for LGBTQ employees and their families? I know a lot of the chambers offer opportunities to educate. So how important is that? It's extremely important, especially to know that your parent or whoever it is in your family that works for an organization is an ally, right, if they're not LGBTQ. So if they're an ally and then their job is an ally, it makes things so much easier. I sat on a panel last month and a woman who was an ally, her child had a question. And she was able to go on to her ERG group, ask the question, and the people in the LGBT community answered it. And so she was able to go back and give her child good information, right? And I applauded her because, number one, you went and sought out the answer. You didn't just tell her to go look it up yourself because Lord knows what kids can find on the Internet, right? So it's really good to know when you know that your company respects you and your life and your family, it's also good for the children to know that if I want to get a job with this company because that's where my parents work, because kids want to do what we do, 
bottom line, what they see us do, they're going to want to do. So if, hey, mom or dad's company is okay with who I am, then that's going to let them know that it'll be okay for them when it's time for them to get into the workplace. So I think it's really, really important. So having those allies on your side is important for the continued success of the growth of the company. Definitely. So, Emma, that was definitely great information that you shared on how to find diverse employers in the workforce. I love the analogy about the dating. That's awesome. So as we talk about marriage equality, it has been a very highly debated diversity issue for many years. So tell me what June 26, 2015 meant for you and your spouse when you were able to become married. It was the second best day of my life. The first, my son being born. I would say it legitimized us. I I felt like we were a legitimate family, but there was still this thing of what about benefits? What about social security? What about we were having to go through extra steps of creating this protection type of system. So if anything happened to me, my wife would be taking care of my girlfriend at the time would be taken care of and vice versa if anything happened to her. And it was a lot of money and it was a lot of questions. And well, if we get married in this state, God forbid, if anything happens, we wouldn't be able to get divorced hope we stay together forever, but we can get in a car accident and not be in our right frame of mind. Anything can happen. We're human, right? So that day for the three of us, our son and my wife and I, it meant that we were real. Our parents were so over the top. They were so happy that our union was actually legitimate and it meant something in the in the face of the world. So they were, everybody in our family, were, I think, was was extremely happy for us. So for me, I just don't understand why people, why it's such a big deal. I don't want to sleep with everybody. I want to sleep with one person, you know, and what I do with her is nobody's business or who I sleep with is nobody's business. What I do when I go home, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, is no one's business. So the concept that marriage, that there was marriage inequality is it's like racism to me. It's like all the isms to me. It's ignorance. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely agree with that in terms of how you were able to view that. It definitely is not anyone's business because you decide to be in a same-sex relationship just as much as no one's business as to what type of relationship that I'm in doesn't make me who I am um, as an individual. And you definitely deserve equality in rights and benefits and everything else that heterosexual couples receive in the world. So as a radio host of the popular show Financial Renaissance, you provide a variety of tips to promote financial literacy. One area of diversity that's often overlooked is socioeconomic disparity. So can you give us a little information about how diverse communities can become more knowledgeable about creating that wealth? Yes. Turn off reality TV. Number one is if you're going to use television, television can be a a powerful tool. Now with the internet, we have podcasts. So you can listen to my radio show, of course, every Sunday morning, (laughs) Financial Renaissance, or follow me on social media, Emma Knows Money. But listening to different podcasts, there's PBS, there's NPR. You can even watch C-SPAN so you understand what these lawmakers are, are doing with our money and the decisions that they're making. Take classes. The library. We all have a library in our pocketbooks, in our pockets, right, with our cell phones. You don't even have to go into the library anymore. You can borrow books from the library and put it on your e-reader and things like that. So you have to educate yourself. You're not going to learn this in school. I have clients that have their master's degree in finance, but they still need a certified financial planner. Okay, so there are a lot of tools out there. The federal government has tools. You can go on the treasurydepartment.gov's website and they will guide you to some free tools to learn more about money and things of that nature. But there are a lot of free things that people can take advantage of in this world, in our country. That's great. Great information. 
So here at Ronstadt, as you know, I managed our Higher Hope program, which supports career readiness and job placement for women, mainly in underserved communities. So what advice would you give to a young woman who may feel limited by their environment to help them improve their finances? Where should they start? Oh, wow. That's a that's a great question. It's a tough question. And again, it's going to go back to resources. And the reason why it's a tough question is I'm realizing now that resources like the Internet isn't available to everyone, every place in our country. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that is the key to learning basically for free. So there are classes. Uh, Coursera has classes, college level classes, smartmoney.org, I believe. And, you know, I may be a little wrong, but there are different free programs that the government has to teach you how to be financially literate. By the next quarter on my Emma Knows Money website, we will have some of these resources that the government allows me to put stuff on my website. So I'll just put that up there so people understand how to budget. Before you make a lot of money, you have to know how to deal with the money, because whether you're making $30,000 or $50,000 or $100,000. If you don't do the right thing with 30, you're not going to do the right thing with 100 or 150,000. It's the same behaviors no matter how much you have. So learn how to manage what you have. Learn how to deal with the workplace as well. So when you're dealing with money or wanting to learn about money, you want to make sure you're not doing things to cut yourself off from making more, (laughs) right? You have to learn about taxes. There are a lot of things that people have to understand about the basics of money. Oh, I got my first paycheck. I thought I was going to get $300. I only have 150. What happened? Well, you have to learn about taxes and what taxes is for and, you know, the police and the fire departments, the schools, things of that nature. So it's literally just taking someone through an immersion from the beginning to the end. How, why do we use money? Why don't we use the gold? Like it's just just giving them a a whole literacy program or a literacy education. Also, a lot of banks have free programs. A lot of the banks also have financial literacy stuff for people, especially for the underserved and the underbanked. I love that. And I'm so glad you mentioned about the banks because when I was first starting out as a young single person and I wanted to buy my first house, I would go, my friends thought I was crazy. I would go to all these free webinars. I look in, they'd be posted in the newspaper back then, like you said, free webinars about home buying. Obviously they were trying to get people to come and use their services to finance their home through, but it was so educational. I would go with my little notebook. I would be gone for three, four hours on a Saturday and people, my friends thought I was insane. Like, why are you spending three hours a bank webinar. You know, they didn't understand it. I wanted to understand what it meant to buy a home. How would I buy a home? Because I had never done it before. And I didn't know anybody. None of my peers, our friends at the time, had bought a house either. So I wanted to understand what it is because I knew there was a, a lot of predatory lending practices. And I had I saw that on the news. So I wanted to educate so that wasn't part of that. And I had a limited income as a single person starting out in their career. I didn't know that I could buy a home. Like, did yeah, I make enough not, money? When you're not making a lot of money, you don't have a lot of wiggle room for mistakes. So you have to think of what's the worst thing that can happen. And, and it's a it's a horrible way to think, but you always have to think of the, the downside. The, what's the flip side of this? How can this go wrong? How can I make sure this doesn't blow up in my face? And for you know what you're saying, the free programs, the colleges send those little pamphlets in the mail. There may be free courses in there. Yeah. Take them. Even if it's yeah. $65, don't go to lunch. <laughs> you know, don't yeah. brown bag it. And it, it's an investment in yourself. You have to make it. 
And that's how I got my first house through one of those free programs. Nice. I went through and I found a nonprofit that would help me with my down payment, to offer down payment assistance. And I was able to get, that's how I was able to get my first home. So I was really happy that I did that research. It helped me. So, Beautiful. so thank you for that. So Emma, one of the things as a woman, what is the best advice you received that really impacted your career? The best advice that I received that impacted my career would be to just be yourself. People always say, be yourself, be yourself. And it's really hard to be yourself. I also, the advice that I received was probably from a song, Beyonce's song. I think it's flawless where there's a woman speaking about shrinking yourself and shrinking yourself down and dimming your light. And I realized that, and I've been hearing, you know, I read a lot, I, I listen to podcasts, I meditate, I do a lot of things. And like all of these messages at one time kind of hit me that, oh my goodness, I've been diminishing myself to make other people feel comfortable. Mm, and wow. um, this is probably three or four years ago, I decided I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm kind of an over-the-top person, so be it. That's what I am. I was born this way. God made me like this. So let me be who I am. And if other people are uncomfortable with my shine, they can either wear shades or they can go be in another room. Ooh. So if you are who you are, and sometimes it's hard to be the smartest person in the room. Stay in your lane, and, and there's a way of learning how to deal with people who may be intimidated by stuff like that. But you again, you have to read. There are lots of books out there that will tell you how to deal with certain personality types in the workplace so that you can still be yourself, not take away the shine from your boss or anybody else, but so that people take notice of who you are, whether it's your outgoing personality or if you're very introverted but you're a brainiac or you're very good at what you do, don't diminish your knowledge. Don't apologize as a woman. Don't apologize for, for what you know and for what you can do. Oh, my goodness. That gave me chills. I want to do a mic drop on that, Emma. That's it. Don't block it. Let anybody block your shine. Go ahead. I love that. That's one of the things I was thinking about when you were talking about how you couldn't be your real self in the workplace earlier. And that was diminishing who you really were at the time. It did. It, it, effect, it impacted my pockets. But it, it, it impacted my pockets because I wasn't able to be who I wanted to be. I wasn't my full self. So I wasn't telling my whole truth. So I was afraid for, of people to know about my sexuality. I was afraid. And even people in the community, I was still kind of afraid. I didn't want it to get out. I didn't want to be turned down for positions. I didn't want to lose clients. And a lot, some of it was in our heads, but then a lot of it was very real. It is. You know, it's it very real. And even with how we dealt with our son, you know, don't go to school and tell people that you have two moms. I don't want you fighting. We don't want you fighting at school trying to defend our honor and things of that nature. So as a family, it has an impact. It definitely has it an does. impact. It does. It does carry through. I mean, we spend majority of our working lives at work or in work or some part of working. So, yes. And I think if you can't be you in that environment, then where are you going to be yourself yeah, we're, we We spend more time with the people we work with than our families yep. most of the time. We do. We do. Wow. Powerful insights. So leads me to our next question. You've got so many great accomplishments. You know, kudos to you for sure, Emma. I'm you just, you know, my shiro. What are you most proud of in your career? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, seriously, I'm, I'm not proud of anything. Like we we celebrate wins and then we move on. We don't. Wow. We celebrate wins and we move on. But what I'm proudest of is my family and my friends. Like, Aww, I am I so that. lucky. I have, like, an amazing team. I have an amazing group of people who are very honest with me. 
They have no problem challenging me. And I love to be challenged. I love to debate. They have no problem. My family is who I talk to before I make any business decisions. So my, my parents fly in for uh, Thanksgiving. My parents, my wife, my son, we all sit around and we talk about what we're doing in our careers or with our businesses. And I make decisions, I realize, because of my family. They all have, um, you know, tons of knowledge and even with our friends. So everything that I do, who I am, is a result of the people that I'm surrounded by. That's what I am. I'm a product. I may be the, the most outgoing or the most, I don't know what the word is. She probably has, a, my wife probably has a great word for it. But I'm a culmination of everybody that I hang around with. I'm just the one with the biggest voice right now. I love that. So you get your own personal board of directors. That's what it is. I don't know if I would call it that. I, I, it's a round table. I call a round it a round table. table. Of expertise. It's a round table. I, I am not at the head it. of anything. I love that. So one last question. If you could change one thing to make the world better and more accepting and embracing of the LGBTQ community, what would that be? This is a it's a great question. It's just follow the golden rule. People go to church. We're in the South. People go to church and don't just listen to the words, like really like let them sink in and think about what you're saying and how you want to treat your neighbor and how you want to treat other people and not judging. You know, you opened up with a with a comment about judging. We're not supposed to judge. And if, if you are looking at a group of people that you feel is going to go to damnation or in purgatory or hell or what have you, that's not for you to decide or to bring it to their attention. That's between them and their God. So the biggest thing I could say to people is just follow the golden rule. Every religious book has the same tenets. Follow the golden rule. Just don't be a jerk. I love that. All right. So we're going to mic drop on, be yourself, follow the golden rule, and don't let anybody stop your shine. Yeah. I love that. Give me a pair of shades. <laughs> I love that. Wow. Oprah said when she first started her career that her future was so bright, she was going to have to wear a shade. So she said she made did that she comment. Really? She sure did. I, I remember an early interview with her and she talked about that. So it's amazing you brought that around full circle for me. All right. Well, thank you so much, Emma. This has been a gift having you here. Thank you. Wow. Thank, thank I, I you got chills. All, thank you for all that you're doing. I appreciate everything that you're doing. And thank you for having me today. Excellent. And thank you, Crystal and, and Norma from my Ready Crew. Another phenomenal conversation. And a big thank you to our listeners globally. I think we're in like over 29 countries now. So we're excited about that. So real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged and working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the Diversity Deep Dive podcast. Until next time, go out and make a positive difference in your community or organization. Thank you.